0: Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. On this special episode, we have an interview with the writers Ed Fuller and Gary Grossman, who have written an exciting sequel to their 2019 Red Hotel novel called Red Deception. And in this one, they do have Dan Riley back. So if you've read the first one, you'll be very excited to read this sequel. It's really good. I'm very excited to have both of these men on with us to talk about this novel, to talk about writing, and especially I'm really excited to talk to them about the process of writing a novel with somebody because as someone who has written stuff before, I've never written anything with someone really, so I think this this will be an interesting conversation, so I'm really excited, and so I'm going to have both of them introduce themselves and tell me just a little bit of your background. Um, start with you, Ed.
2: Uh, number one, uh... It's great to be on the show with you, so thank you. I worked for Marriott for about 40 years. I was in the Army in Vietnam in Germany prior to that. And then during my time in Marriott Hotels, uh, which was growing, I ran the International Division for 22 years. So about 20, I was also Chief Marketing Officer for about 26 of the years. I was involved in a global environment. And fundamentally, uh, even though I've done some additional work and been to China and Dubai since I retired several times, because I've had some good friends there, I had a chance to get interested in writing a book. And I had written a business book while I was working for Marriott. Uh, You can't lead with your feet on the desk. And uh, so I wanted to write a novel, and that's where the story begins after you introduce Gary.
0: And Gary. Uh,
2: we have, you can see we have a great partnership. You do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I, I love it. Well, I am a TV producer and writer, uh, a former journalist, a uh, college teacher, and a novelist. I've written uh, another series called the Executive Action Series and that started with Executive Actions, went to Executive Trees and Executive Command and Executive Force and another standalone called Old Earth. And um, while by day, I used to be pretty much or foremost a TV producer, by day, now I'm very much a thriller writer. And one night, Uh, I was walking our dog in our neighborhood, and I bumped into a neighbor uh, in Los Angeles. And he said, Gary, I'm so glad I got to see you. He was walking his dog named Shadow. I have our dog, Tames. And he said, "Uh, there's a guy I want to talk to you about. He's the former president of Marriott International, and he's interested in finding a collaborator to work with on a novel. And I had two thoughts. One, gee, I've never worked with anybody novel writing, I've written alone. I have collaborated on television. Screenwriters collaborate a lot. TV writers collaborate a lot, Uh, but I haven't. But what could I possibly have in common with the former president of of Marriott (laughs) International? I do have a Marriott card, maybe (laughs) enough, and I have points, and he said, You've got to meet him, and I said, "Okay, Bruce. Uh, I hear you because I know this is coming from you, Bruce Fierstein." Bruce Fierstein wrote the first three James Bond movies that Pierce Brosnan was in. Okay. so he's in—he's in our space. Well, I met Ed, and uh, you know, I'd like to say it's a joke because it sounds like a joke, but it really took no more than about thirty seconds. For me to realize that Ed was as much in the anti-terrorism business as the hotel business. Why? Because working abroad with hotels in different countries, you are dealing with the safety of guests. You are dealing with the triad, work you know on the mm-hmm. block or uh, Mexican cartels. You are preventing bombings or. Going in after there were bombings. You are getting your staff out and guests out when a country falls, like Egypt and Mubarak fell, and Libya when Gaddafi fell. These were all and so many more experiences that Ed had over his years at Marriott that worked mm-hmm. into the pages of Red Deception and before that Red Hotel. And Ed being the real deal being the authority being the person who is there being set, setting up all the systems that make life better and safer when you travel mm-hmm. just seem to provide the, the natural ability for us to work together to craft thrillers globe globe trotting thrillers based on real life experiences in a real world where we could also say now here are the threats we have to worry about tomorrow
0: yeah, it was very. I mean, I will say, reading it, it was kind of scary in the fact that you could see this stuff happening, <laughs> or that this stuff might be being planned out right now, or being thwarted, or you know, yeah, it was, it was very much steeped in real world events for sure. Like, did not seem outlandish at all. Seemed more scary than really. <laughs> like you can see it happening for sure. So
1: talk to Ed because. In many of the cases, in many, many of the stories,
0: Mm.
1: he was there in the moment.
0: So a lot of this, then, Ed, comes from your own experience, then?
2: Absolutely. And we have three pages of experiences we have not included yet. So the fourth book will include additional. And our third book, Red Chaos, which should be out at the beginning of next year, should provide a whole new set of experiences. Mm -hmm. So an example, you read Red Hotel. And so you're well aware of the bombing in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. In reality, that was the Jakarta Marriott. And all we had to do was lift the examples and the challenges that we faced at that time with the first bombing. So that's how we transitioned. Another situation, and, and I won't bore you with three pages, but another transition, which was a little shorter than most was in Panama. You're too young to know Noriega or know of General Noriega.
0: Well, I Think, do know the name. I do know, yes. Uh,
2: <laughs> uh, the general was uh, clearly getting out of hand and America decided to come take away that risk to the Panama Canal, which is another story in its own self. And so the problem became, we had American troops on the ground. We had one hotel there, 400 rooms, and we had guests and employees. And so Noriego's troops were ordered to go to each of the hotels and get the guests and bring them to a central location. As a result, the uh, amazing incident became even more difficult because the general manager was having open-heart surgery in Houston. And so it was the next level of the team that was running the situation. They put each of the guests into the dryers and tumble washers in the laundry Wow! threw in in some more laundry so they well stinky but so they didn't get seen and then told them just stay quiet and stay there and so sure enough Noriega's detachment showed up went into the hotel I was down there after the event and they had machine gunned every room uh, trying to look for people that you know mm-hmm. they could take back to the general and ultimately they went, got down to the laundry and our managers were there and they said this is the laundry nothing going on here and the guy looked around and said nope nothing going on and uh, they left thereby keeping our both our customers and our senior managers safe wow and that comes from great relationships with your employees but also it comes from being able to think creatively when you're at risk
0: wow that's that's an incredible story oh my gosh yeah i'm just i'm picturing that in my head too that wow yeah so all of your stories i'm sure just so who is then so dan riley who's the central character in red hotel and then in red deception so we find him in red deception as well who, who is he based on then? Is he based on somebody then? Is he like a combination of people, Ed? He's based on Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Gary's pointing towards Ed. So he's based on you then, Ed? That's me. That's you.
2: Middle name's Daniel. And so Dan, yeah. his first name is Daniel. Uh, Aaron, imagine...
1: You know, you 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 read James Bond, or you go to mm-hmm. James Bond movies. It's great, and the Bourne movies and the Bourne books is great, or Jack Reacher. You know, yeah. um, Lee Child fabulous books. But none of those characters are real. Mm-hmm. I get to sit and work with Ed Fuller, who is Dan Riley. In these books, and yes, there are fictional qualities about Dan Riley, but a lot of the stories, and in, in Red Deception, uh, the main underlying story is America's infrastructure. Very timely, mm-hmm. America's infrastructure is under attack. Bridges are are being blown up. The tunnel under uh, Lincoln Tunnel under the Hudson River is attacked. Hoover Dam is potentially at risk. The Oakland Bay Bridge. uh, America's infrastructure is under attack. That's a domestic story. Ed Fuller was in Washington when a plane crashed into a bridge in Washington, DC. The elements of the story that come out there are part of Ed's story. The international story dealing with the hotel side or the government side mm-hmm. or evacuations. And we have one in Kiev, in Ukraine. Those are Ed stories and the stories of Ed, the people that Ed work with. So, you know, I get to sit down with a real life guy who's a, an, a, a combination of a Bourne and a James Bond and a Jack Reacher, mm-hmm. but it's also an international executive who had to work with, and I had no idea this world, this realm existed, who had to work with the CIA, which he can talk about, who had to work with Interpol, who had to work with the Chinese government, still does, you know, in business, who finds himself in Russia and in Russia hotels and knows that every room, you're going to be on a camera or in China. He's the real deal, and I get to work with him. I get to work. (laughs)
0: That's, I mean, that's really, that's incredible. That's, but yeah, you that's better
2: Remember, I can tell stories, but I didn't have the skill. I, I sat down one day and said, I did my business book. That was easy because I just put in my particular trip reports under each topic, which I thought was important, relationship, trust. But, uh, and Wiley did a great job by giving me a strong editor, but I said, okay, I'll, I think I'll just sit down here and write a novel. And I wrote, the waves were clear, the palm trees were waving, and they had sex. <laughs> next chapter, next chapter, I, I wrote, you know, it was snowing out, it was cold, the fireplace was crackling they were sitting on the soft carpet in front of the fireplace and they had sex. (laughs) So so the third chapter I wrote, wrote down, I'm tired. I can't figure out what to do. And that's why I went looking for Gary because he's a chef. And Mm -hmm. that's the one thing we both recognize that we bring certain skills to this partnership. And we're able to work together, and we perfected it. Frankly, we're starting on the fourth book right now. That that particular session came, up, came together in about four hours and doing a lot of reading and research. At the same time, we now know what we want to do in the first couple of chapters. Don't follow my pattern. And so the fact is that, Working together, I was going to be better. And Mm. that's why we are together. And so clearly, Gary is the executive chef that puts all the goods in there and wraps these people together. And we just have fun. We sure do. We sure do. We're close enough geographically.
1: Uh, It is about an hour south of me. I'm in L.A. He's in Laguna. So we get together, but truthfully, remote, working remotely Zoom through the pandemic, it means we've even been more collaborative because hmm. uh, it doesn't require the transportation back and forth up here, me going down there. We can do a four-hour session um, at any time, and and it has really enhanced uh, our closeness as well. So it's, it's special. And... I, you know, I am really proud of working with Ed because he makes my writing better
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I'm able to work with him to communicate the stories. But we both edit together as well and we, we push ourselves in good ways. How can the next book be even bigger and better? What, what is Dan's story? Is Dan going to stay with the hotel organization? because he really freelances with the State Department and the CIA. And how well, in fact, I'll ask Ed, how well would that work in real life, Ed, with a boss like Bill Marriott, if you were really splitting your duties? Would you find a, a means to make that work?
2: Well, I did work with the CIA. I was, almost every corporation in the United States That's a CIA relationship if you operate overseas. And so I had a relationship. They have the Washington office. We'd sit and talk about different problems. What should we anticipate? What challenge are we going to face? Then ask them where they could help us. And they would ask us where we could help them. In one case, uh, a general Russian general had been turned over to the CIA with his son and he needed to get the son a job because he was really starting to itch to go back to Russia so we took that care of that and he had a good job did a good job for two or three years and then dad was going somewhere which we did not know and son went with him but those things you can get caught up in. Now, Dan takes it a little further. I never ran through the hall with a gun. <laughs> I I must admit, that's Gary's influence on me, putting a little more action in there. And so that is the reality of that. But keep, keep in mind, I've got to go to another story. We have the Olympics coming up, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, the first Olympics in China, spectacular job they did. The city of Beijing was as clean. You could go out and eat off the sidewalks. Even if it was a little smoggy, they cleaned it up real quick. It was in perfect shape. Well, uh, Kathleen Matthews, Chris Matthews' wife, worked with Marriott. And so one day I'm kind of relaxing for the first time in my office, Kathleen bursts in and said, Ed, you can't let them do this. And I said, what? They're installing listening devices in all the hotels in China. And I said, where did you find that out? She says, it's in the paper. I said, well, I can't not. I said, currently, we're helping them install the listening devices because we'll be out of those hotels if we try to stop them. And so, ultimately, we wound up in front of Bill Marriott. Bill Marriott understood China right now. I think we have about 300 hotels. In those days, we only had 79 because I was growing it. He knew this wouldn't work. But what we did do was put a letter out to every guest saying, please be aware you're being listened to and understand that this is now, can happen at any time during the Olympics. They closed down the units at the end of the Olympics but they left them in each hotel and so, the word from some of my friends is they're turning them back on for this Olympics. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind if you were planning to go to the Olympics.
1: Okay. Aaron, yeah. By yes. the way, this is how we work together. I just wrote notes.
0: Yeah, I saw you because I'm like, this has to th- that has to be is so that's gotta be what it is, right? You just you get together, you do like a zoom, and you're like, tell me a story, you write it down, then and then. Gary, then do you go and write that up, and then you both meet again together to do the editing on it?
1: You know, on three by five cards, uh, mm. it has to kind of stay in front of mind. Yeah, uh, putting it in a computer file, then you have to find the file. But putting it on a card, it's right there, mm. uh, and and then we'll find a place to work it in. And I also the the Russian general story. You know, I yeah. got stories. This is how it works. <laughs> That's,
0: That's amazing. Yes, so you could already be starting to work on a fifth novel then.
2: <laughs> We're starting to work on the fourth one, right? I know, I know,
0: but with those notes, you oh, the the we've fifth.
2: got a long ways to go.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got—I mean—it sounds like you have got a treasure trove of stories that will never run out anyway. So it sounds like you could do like a whole.
2: <laughs> well, I was, I was lucky because i worked in one job for 22 years and we did not have our systems in place to be able to handle the situations that came around internationally. And we had our incidents probably outnumbered North America by five to one uh, a month. And so it was something that we had to perfect. We did not have my first day on the job, nor did I have it six days later when we had a kidnapping of our executive committee out of Cancun Hotel. So it became something that Alan Orlob, who you hear in here is Alan Cannon, Mm -hmm. and I had to work on with the lawyers and everything else to bring it into fruition. And the red in Red Hotel, would you guess what the red represents?
0: Well, I mean, I would, I mean, it's probably not this because it's like the simplest answer you would say would be like the Soviet Union or, you know, Russia or anything. Is, is that,
1: <laughs> no. You're, you're, you're right that it's not that.
0: Yeah. And, Cause I was like, that's too easy yeah. an answer, but.
1: And it, so it does so. refer to, and Ed can step through this, Ed and his team developed, The color code system that rated threats Mm -hmm. uh, with red being the highest. And what I found most interesting is that when Ed set a hotel's threat at the highest level, that made it safer.
2: He is handing off that story. Did you see that?
0: Yeah, because he's he's like, that made it safer, right?
2: Right, absolutely. Because when I left, we had 52 of our hotels were red, driven by this system and a team of analysts that covered the world 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. using connections, which included our state department, as well as a company named Pinkerton, as well as a number of other companies, which would feed in information. Even if they were not on my time, which became any time at that point, they could put in to raise the situation, the schedule from the various color stacks, which they had clear requirements. Top red, you had to have dogs. And so I have tons of stories about our dog hotels who were clearly living a good life because they could only do 45 minute shifts because that's the limitation of their smell capability. And then they'd go back, take a break, and you know the next puppy had come out. And so it was a real system that was built off of that. And red was the top rated, not top rated, most concerning level of uh, the uh, situations that we faced and we faced a number of them.
0: Yeah. Well, and you, and you have the dogs in this one as well. I know you have the whole thing, sure. where you're, you know, you're questioning about what dogs are using. Are they doing the breaks that they're taking all that stuff? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And in the case of uh, the hotel, its uh, hotel, the company's hotel in Mumbai, mm-hmm. Bad guys, terrorists, came and saw that the defenses were too great, putting them, terrorists, too much at risk. And they went down the street to another hotel because the hotel that Ed had in Mumbai was too well protected with bollards out front, no American flag, security guards, metal detectors, checking IDs when you go in, checking IDs when you go up in the elevator all those things that make it safer and make it harder. There are soft targets and hard target. Mm -hmm. Hotels, you know, all around the world, you hear about hotels and restaurants being blown up, being targeted, they're soft targets. Ed's job was to make them harder. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah,
0: well, well, and in this novel, I want to just ask a little bit about that because it does kind of open up with... You know, these group terrorist attacks that are being planned throughout the novel. There's a lot of that, which is against infrastructure, as you were mentioning before. And I know, Ed, since you have been around this forever, it might not have been any kind of surprise to you. But, Gary, as you've been working with this and hearing these stories, is this new information for you? Like all the stuff that Ed would tell you, or how vulnerable we are, or how vulnerable our infrastructure is? Did it make you scared? Or, I don't, I'm more intrigued or how did, how did that affect you? I'm
1: just curious. That's a great question. Ed, Ed has made me more aware. I'll back up into a degree of awareness. I did a tour through one of the hotels uh, locally with Ed. And uh, one of the main things I learned was a phrase. Well, I, I had been familiar with the phrase, but it didn't have the impact that it had until I walked through the hotel. Uh, because there were posters placed in all of the service elevators, Mm -hmm. wall-to-wall posters, huge. There was nothing but these posters. If you see something, say something. Well, we're living in a dangerous world now. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, in in a restaurant that I went to in New York, I was sitting in a bar waiting for my daughter to come visit, she lives in New York and there was a guy sitting next to me. And this was after I had the experience with Ed. was so the guy sitting next to me, he suddenly left the restaurant, left a package down at his seat mm-hmm. and he had bolted and he still had you know, hardly touched his drink in his food. And I waited maybe a minute and I maybe that was too long even. And I asked the bartender, or I said to the bartender, I'm very concerned. The guy just left here and he left a package and his food and his drink is here. And he said, thank you for for saying that. Thank you for speaking up. He's a regular. I know him. He's just out in front having a a smoke because there's no smoking in here. He will be back. Maybe he was not going to come back, but at least I bought the story. In fact, he did come back. Uh, But that's an example of if you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. My dad was in law enforcement in New York state, and my mom was in politics. So uh, I had grown up with a sense of the combination of politics and law enforcement, but we're in a very, very different world now. And uh, we're in a world, in fact, after 9-11, who was brought in to speak to the Pentagon and to speak to uh, the, the 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 CIA and the White House about our vulnerabilities, thriller movie writers and thriller That's writers. true. Mm-hmm. They were brought in to talk about what Washington is not thinking about. Mm-hmm. So so Ed prompts me and 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 vice versa to think the unthinkable. Because if we think the unthinkable, then maybe we're going to get to the unknowable or we'll get to what's plausible. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we do. We worry in our books uh, about infrastructure. Uh, We worry about uh, Russia's expansionism under uh, Mm -hmm. Putin. And our stand-in for Putin is a character named Nikolai Gorshkov uh, who, systematically is trying to rebuild the old Soviet uh, bloc nations, the satellite nations. We worry about um, China, it's certainly in the news, and we worry about anybody's motives we don't understand, who just want to catch and get attention. And we also worry about, and it's, it's, it could be considered a trope, but it's real, and Ed can talk about his experiences, we worry about sexpionage because that's certainly in James Bond and, and you know, other film writers because it's real. There's a, a Russian general, uh, Oleg uh, Kosygin, uh, now living in the United States, coming uh, in back in the United States. He said this classic line, in America, you tell and instruct and teach your men to stand up for our country for your country,
2: mm-hmm. in
1: Russia, we teach our women to lie down for hours. Hm. spies hm. so ed Ed knows from what in Germany in East Germany and going back and forth with the hotels about the sexpionage
2: that went on
0: and that's included in this novel too, yeah,
2: so see those things kind of sneak out at you and I love to play a game, and if you want to call sometime, we can play it, which is real and which is not. So Uh even the crash in Venezuela has tentacles back to real crash in Colombia. Hmm. So you can can see how we brought those things together.
0: Yeah, well, you have a treasure trove. I mean, like I said before, it's just like you have like – I, I mean, I can't even imagine how many stories you have just up there. It's just got to be just fascinating for you, Gary, too, as someone who's a writer to be able to have that, um, you know, because I, I was going to ask about how you work together, but you've already explained how you work together. And just watching and just listening to both of you, you can tell you both it's like you both have this um, symbiotic almost relationship. And, you know, you kind of just one person does one thing the way that, it, you know, handles this side and the other person handles that side and you've got uh you know like the promotion gary because i'm watching gary right now nobody can see this but he's drinking from a coffee mug that has the red deception on there (laughs) i can see the red deception cover in the background there so that constant promotion which is something i understand doing that and then you've got someone who's got this treasure trove with you ed with all of this knowledge and all of your own life experience so it's just a great like you said it's like it's almost like fate that the two of you found each other, I would say, just from what you have told me. I mean, it's and like you said, it took you, what, 30 seconds. That's what you said earlier, Gary, for you to know.
1: 30 seconds. And um I, you know, there's uh, there are stories yet to come and stories that I think Ed's probably maybe still a little guarded about, but will come out or relationships you know the cia how deep his relationships may be uh and there are confidences certainly still to maintain because like with the cia or the nsa you know people who are out still in the field you don't want to name them in the book or get close to their names you want to protect them uh but he had to deal with people who were the triad cutting people's Fingers off. He had to deal with kidnappings, as he's as he's mentioned. The real and present dangers that uh, I'll put it this way: I have always written from the comfort of my computer, you know, mm-hmm. screen access to through the internet, the the phone to reach people, contacts that I had in different uh, administrations in Washington. Um, people who, military experts, but I have done them for the comfort of here, this mm-hmm. space. Ed spent his life out in the field, figuring things out. And uh, there, are, there are some authors who are the, the former CIA people who write their own books or, or former detectives who write their own books. I, I think we are better as a team because we mm-hmm. keep challenging each other to, and in fact, Ed did it on our third book, Red Chaos, which is, as Ed said, coming out in 2022. He said, you know, it's just not yet there. I need We need more of the intercutting action because we tend to write filmically. I think mm-hmm. you've seen that in Red Deception. Yeah, definitely. it's It like a movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, there are
1: multiple things happening in different parts of the country. How they or different parts of the world, how they relate to each other, is something that comes together. But I imagine, you know, Ed was doing this before there were cell phones, and how did he keep track of the world? And then Ed was doing this with cell phones, and how did he get any
2: sleep? I don't know how you did that. He's
0: like, no, I didn't. I didn't get any sleep.
2: (laughs) Well, uh, they're not exciting stories about being awakened at three in the morning in Hong Kong, and somebody says oh my gosh, why can't you help me with this computer problem? And I go, it's 3 a.m. Yeah, it's (laughs) 3. I said, no, 3 a.m., you're back in Washington and you are there at 3 p.m. I'm going to sleep. And yet we also had several business meetings that were important that Mm -hmm. I had to attend. But I did actually on one meeting fall asleep on the phone. all you heard on the phone was (laughs) And and a couple of my friends told me that uh, Bill Merritt and a friend, Bill Tiefel, never went after me on that because they said they understood. But, uh, Steve, my other friend said, I'm going to ride you on that story for life. And he has. But I did in that timeline 14 million miles and I was spending a lot of time on the road. And when we had a crisis, I went to the crisis as Bill Marriott's actual representative. Mm -hmm. And so our associates felt better about the company and that was one of the key things. And we had, as you remember, Mr. Mubarak being tossed out of Egypt Mm -hmm. during the Arab Spring. And I went to Cairo. I was in the middle of a strategy meeting with uh, all the key players. And I got another call and I said, guys, I'm going to take Mark, who was our chief operating officer for the Middle East. And I said, we're going to get on a plane, go back to Cairo. So I was there 10 days of that time listening to some of our newsmen going, I'm in an undisclosed location. Well, we knew where they were. They were in our hotel. So (laughs) so, um, I had to visit the seven hotels we had operating as well as the three hotels under construction in five different locations. We had our last stop in Taba Heights, which was right on the Israeli border and where we had a hotel and it uh, was a good long ride back to the airport and we had no communications. So it took us about four, three hours to get the airport. Yes, we had a private jet that we picked up uh, and was always leave Egypt at night because if the state department had evacuated everybody they could and then we uh, flew back to cairo and so we went to our hotel with not a lot of background and when we got to the hotel everybody was in a corner out in the parking lot and the egyptian military had surrounded the hotel but for four hours the Department of Interior, had called back all their police. And so the team said to me, here's what's happening, because their GM was in Boston having surgery also. Very untimely, these surgeries. And uh, I said, you know, what happened? They said, well, we've been trying to get hold of you, but we understood where you were. And we didn't know what to do because the rioters were banging at our three gates trying to get in because they knew the news reporters were in there. And we had about half a house, we had about 700 rooms occupied out of the 1600. And so we do not have, except in two cases, we do not arm our security. And so it's policy and the police had gone away from our front gate and they were coming through. So they said, what should we do? Chef said, I've got an idea. And so all our culinarians came out with their cleavers and anything sharp and stood behind the security staff followed by the housekeepers who also had Their equipment, be it a broom or anything else. Then engineers with their shovels and anything else stood and looked at those people and they just stood there and then kind of backed away from the gate a little. And then we were able ultimately to get the military to surround the hotel. When I asked the managers, Why did the hourly associates go to the gates and back it up? And I asked some of the hourly associates, and they said, number one, Marriott is our home. Number two, we had to take care of our customers and fellow associates, and it would have been bad if they had gotten in so they ultimately were the heroes of the day and of course i was as proud as anything that they had taken that action but that's just one of the many stories in egypt
0: wow well i'm curious then ed i want to know the fbi that when dan gets held by the fbi and they're questioning and saying you know like. Prodding him like, oh, that this was all in your dossier. That you probably did this. You probably, you know, kind of like prodding him. Did, did that happen to you? No. No. Okay. And
2: it, <laughs> and if you look at my shirt, which your uh, your listeners can't, this is my FBI. Uh, I'm oh, okay. on the yeah, foundation of, for the FBI. Okay. For uh, the academy, and that foundation has brought me closer and even is included in our next book.
0: Oh, okay, okay. That's a little, a little teaser there. Yeah, I was just curious, because I was like, I wonder if that happened.
2: Well, <laughs> no, when it. it happened is when I was held back by other countries uh, at different points, okay. not, not the FBI in the US. So okay. that, was, that was the real story.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Interesting. Well, I mean, you already have the stories right there, Gary, for writing a thriller and for doing that. But, you know, writing a thriller, I assume there are a lot of different things you have to plot out to make sure that you are keeping the reader on their toes. Like with this one, there are different twists and turns and different things you find out as you go along. And you have to make sure that the reader is invested in it and that they're also trying to play along and trying to figure out and trying to piece together the puzzle. So what does it take to do that? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but is there, like, how do you do that, plot that I,
1: I I come at it from uh, the, the reader's point of view, or in the case of a movie, uh, the, uh, the audience's point of view. There's some times where uh, I think it's really good to have the reader ahead of the main character. So the reader is going to be saying, if you've seen the movie Get Out, Okay, yes. you're screaming at him to get out. <laughs> get out of the house. It's not going to work out for you. Well, the audience is really involved trying to get the character mm-hmm. to be as smart. There are other times the character, Dan Riley's character, he's putting things together that the audience hasn't figured out yet. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: Or he's coming at it and he, he, he may be suspicious Uh, But he needs to talk to other people. He needs to get, it's what I learned from my dad, what I learned from Ed. You have to rely on your team. You have to rely on the other people who know things. It's what part of what failed at 9-11. People who knew things did not tell other people. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you were running a flight school and people came in and said, oh, we are interested in uh, learning how to fly a 747 in a jumbo jet, Great, we teach uh, landing and taking off and flying. No, 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 we don't need flying. Oh, we only need flying, not taking off and landing. You want to fly, but you don't want to learn how to land? Wouldn't that trigger something that would tell yeah. you you need, if you see something, say something. Tell more. Well, there are times where where Dan's character puts it together. There are times when he he. Gather more information from everybody else and there are times you're shaking the book while you're reading, uh, or your Kindle or your Audible. It's on every all of those formats, and and you know more and you want Dan to come on, get to it, get to it. That's the excitement. So that in parallel tracks, sometimes the audience is ahead, sometimes Dan is ahead. And where it really works is where you've tricked the audience. We have a character from Red hotel that half the audience thought oh my god he's involved with somebody really great character dan's character and other people said i don't trust her now when we started writing red deception we didn't know a much about her either and we decided mm-hmm. let's figure her out as dan figures her out and so very much the and we're not going to give it away, but very much yeah. the character of the woman lead. Uh, her name is Marnie. Is something that surprises at least half of the audience. And I'll I'll, I'll just you know leave leave it leave,
0: just leave it at that leave yeah. it there.
1: But that, that's <laughs> the fun of of writing and of scene creation and plot creation and plot payoff and writing a book is like playing three-dimensional chess because you're writing linear you are thinking things out that will have to come together later then you have to plant those seeds in earlier so you're writing forward and then writing to either end and filling things in and um, uh, we delivered a red chaos uh, formally, actually, uh, yesterday to our publisher, Beaufort Book, Books in New York, mm-hmm. and we were sprinkling some of those things in as recently as Saturday, last Saturday. So let's oh, let's yeah. put that. We need to put a little more of a seed here, or let's figure this yeah. thing. Instead of making making something purposeful, how about we know bad things happen by accident too? So let's make one thing totally coincidental, totally an accident. Mm-hmm. Although Malcolm Nance, the uh, former uh, security uh, officer for the United States uh, Intelligence Organization, the NSA, says coincidences take a lot of planning.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a good saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, because there are villains in the story, but there are different levels of villains within the story, which is true of of terrorism you have. People at the top and then the agents working. And then people that are, you know, you get the feeling that some of the people in here don't necessarily want to do what they're doing, but they're kind of trapped in it or their families are in danger. Um, and so I'm wondering, approaching that, approaching the writing, the villains, and I'm sure you drew on some of your real life stuff, Ed, and some of your real life experiences. How how was that? Did, did you look at these characters when you are working with Gary and you're writing them and you had your own experiences with terrorists and with terrorism. Did you come away after this, after exploring this differently, looking at it differently, if that makes sense? Like looking looking at the people that are involved in it differently, like on the different levels and the different hierarchies or?
2: Well, culture, if you go back to my business book, is to me the most critical thing in working globally. And frankly, mm-hmm. it should apply in the U.S., but I'll leave my soapbox uh, back in the closet. Um, and the <laughs> fact of the matter is that if you don't understand the culture, you can't even begin to understand what's going on around you. And if you know the culture, you're ahead. And knowing it comes from history. History to me, which is, well, there's my other soapbox, so I'll save it, history is the misunderstood lesson in our lives, and because we don't follow it, and I'm sure they're great historians trying to tell leadership, follow this direction, and they go somewhere else, that's where the twists and turns occur. And so putting it in is not a problem, beat the devil out of sitting on the beach Uh, writing one chapter, but the fact of the matter is because Gary's there, putting that in requires an understanding of what went on to get there. I'm trying to think of a specific difference and one is I did many negotiations throughout the world when we were building hotels and until I understood the North the North Vietnamese actually had gone to school during a long time uh, in Russia and gotten their education there. Did I understand how they were negotiating and what they were using as techniques? Because the Russians are the most difficult people on earth to negotiate against. Chinese, Japanese, all make sense, and that's learning to listen to the people, understand them, be aware of their history. If you don't that understand that, it just doesn't work, and that's come into our book also, because you know I'll say, well, I'm not sure these folks think that way, and I'll give Gary some examples, so on and so forth. So culture driven by history really dictates a lot of ways people react to various events.
1: If You look at Putin uh, who was a KGB officer and our, our stand-in for him uh, likewise was a KGB officer. Putin in Dresden was burning evidence of his own spying and Russian spying as the Berlin Wall was falling, but he he blamed uh, Gorbachev and the Kremlin for destroying uh, the Soviet Union, and at that moment vowed to put it back together, to rise in government and rise in politics and rise in financial uh, wherewithal to be able to put it together. It's been his one guiding force. So as a bad guy, if you look at a Bond villain and he's got this dream, Putin is that Bond villain at that grand scope, Mm -hmm.
2: that high end. And if I can add to Gary's comment, if you understood the Russians after Stalin left, you had several levels that then led to the wall. and uh clearly if you think about it there's reasons that ronald reagan would tell you that it was the economy it was you know the missile program that we were threatening with but in reality it goes back to a country that was run by serfs and elite and they needed somebody all the time to give them confidence that they were in charge and when these folks stepped in they did not have that strength so along comes Putin and when you think about that and I worked with the mayor of uh, Moscow uh, Luchkov and uh, he knew he was going to become president because every president before him or the previous mayor of Moscow And Putin came in and just sliced him up and down and won because the people really wanted a strong leader.
1: Culture. It's culture. You figure you've got your strong leader who can manipulate others. He finds the assassins around the world or finds dupes. He finds, as the Russians call them, uh, useful idiots. And sometimes those useful idiots are even political figures in the United States. And we see that in Red Deception.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, this is, I mean, you are both just so fascinating to talk to, seriously. So I just really appreciate getting the opportunity to talk to both of you and hear these stories. And I'm learning more than... I did before, um, that I knew before. So I I wanna know though, really quickly with you, Gary, with your background in journalism, because I know you've also worked in television, done a lot of television producing, but your background in journalism, did that help at all with writing this? Oh, absolutely.
1: I worked for NBC News. I worked in Boston uh, as a columnist for a newspaper, a freelancer for another newspaper, a documentary filmmaker in Boston, a documentary filmmaker here in Los Angeles for multiple Mm -hmm. channels it comes down to research, it comes down to, I mean, we make up stories, but only a little bit. We're putting a lot of real stories in a real world where things haven't happened yet, but could happen or are getting close to happen. happening. So it really comes down to uh, research. There's not a, I'm sure there are people who write political thrillers and international thrillers and don't go into much research at all. There's not a page. Well, maybe there's a few pages, but there's certainly not a chapter that doesn't have research, whether it's, it's a street, whether it's uh, yeah. in Stockholm and the, uh, the subway stations in Stockholm, I've not been to Stockholm, Ed's been there. The, they became a character in a, in a chase scene. That it makes it all the more richer, but that comes with looking at uh, YouTube videos that people have taken. It does come from trips, but during COVID, you know, certainly fewer research trips to make. But I, I highly recommend for anyone, if they're prospective writers and, and current writers, lean on the truth, lean on because your readers look for it. If you have your your character. I'll go down a certain street and make a right turn, make sure in a car, make sure that's not a one-way street. He's not making an illegal turn. On. Mm-hmm. Check those things out because authenticity, even in fiction, makes the read so much more interesting. And And the things I learned from Ed, I've learned what room, what floor, not to stay above in a hotel,
2: authentically, and that that comes with where you're staying. In a city, yeah. you'll find the hook and ladder can get to you in a room in the teens, but when you're in the 45th floor, you've got a challenge. In a smaller city, above seven is interesting and can be difficult. At the same time, again, my last attempt at a um, bringing out my soapbox, people don't read the directions on the back of the door. And I've been through two fires and I can assure you a lot of stupidity because they don't react when it's there.
0: Good to know. No, really good to know. (laughs)
2: Thank you. That's the takeaway. You'll
1: You'll get a real world and real and present dangers, but there's real takeaway too in Red Hotel and Red Deception. And and the Audible is now out. So there's lots of ways to enjoy. And uh, and a book trailer.
0: Yes, yes, and I was was just gonna mention that. And we're gonna put that in the show notes because there are book trailers for both. Because you said Red Hotel has a book trailer as well, right? So I'll put the link for both so you can look at them. I mean, I think that's a great thing to do, to do a trailer for a book. Uh, Because it brings it to life in a different way. And it gets you even more excited to read it, I think. And, And I totally agree with putting, you know, they always say, write what you know. And Ed, of course, knows this stuff. And I know, Gary, you're learning this stuff. But at the same time, you can even put in stuff, even if it's a fantastical story that you had nothing to do with. If yourself is in there in some way or something about you or something you've learned or something you've researched or found out, it will make it so much better. It'll make it so much more beautiful. And I do agree because you can tell. I mean, you can read something if you know the city or if you know where you are and you're like, they would never, they would never be able to go there. What are they talking about? It instantly takes you out of the story. So that's very true. You have to write what you know and as realist and add that realism in there.
1: So Wow. You you get it. And this has been a fabulous discussion with you. Oh my God.
0: Thank you. It's been great having both of you on. Seriously, this has been a great discussion and I really appreciate the opportunity and I've learned so much. So that's always the best interviews when I can learn from the people I'm talking to. So thank you both so much. And so maybe we'll have to have you back on again to talk about it or if it ever becomes comes to the big screen. That was another... <laughs> Thumbs up. We're working on that. Yeah. Yeah. I had a feeling because you can see this on the big screen very, very easily.
2: Pleasure is ours. Thank you, Aaron.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And if you wanted to, I don't know if you are on social media or if there's anywhere else you want to point people to, to find you, Ed.
2: I'm on all of them, but the one that uh, I probably screen the most, because I'm over 30, uh, is Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) beyond that i'm on twitter i'm on you name it and they create them before i can read them but i try to keep up with that and i have a lot of good friends uh that we connect that way and keep things rolling but i'm more than available and anytime you want to debate a cultural impact give me a call and let's talk
1: it is an <laughs> author ed fuller and i'm gary grossman one on social media, but our website is redhotel.com. So that's the umbrella website for our entire Red Hotel series. Red Hotel, Red Deception, and coming out soon, uh, Red Chaos. So redhotel.com.
0: Wonderful. And that will also be in the show notes, everybody. So you can go there and find that as well. So thank you both again. I really appreciated it. I thought this was a great conversation. It was great talking to both of you. So thank you both. And this is Aaron. You can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest, feel free to reach out to us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And also follow us on TikTok. almost forgot, but follow us on TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. And on our next episode, we already recorded the live stream. So you might have already seen the live stream, but we're going to release the actual audio recording of our episode talking about what we're into. So movies, TV, books, maybe some more book recommendations, fanfics, you name it. Any pop culture item we're into right now will be on that episode. So that'll be coming out on Friday. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate.